be sure to follow Send Me to Sleep on your preferred podcast player so you never miss an episode and a good night's rest. Good evening. In this episode, I'll be reading Chapter 14, The Winged Monkeys, and Chapter 15, The Discovery of Oz the Terrible, from L. Frank Barnes, The Wizard of Oz. So let your eyes fall heavy, and your breath soften, as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 14 The Winged Monkeys You will remember there was no road, not even a pathway, between the castle of the Wicked Witch and the Emerald City. When the four travellers went in search of the witch, she had seen them coming, and so sent the winged monkeys to bring them to her. It was much harder to find their way back through the big fields of buttercups and yellow daisies than it was being carried. They knew, of course, they must go straight east towards the rising sun, and they started off in the right way. But at noon, when the sun was over their heads, they did not know which was east and which was west, and that was the reason they were lost in the great fields. They kept on walking, however, and at night the moon came out and shone brightly. So they lay down among the sweet-smelling yellow flowers and slept soundly until morning. All but the scarecrow and the tin woodman. The next morning the sun was behind a cloud, but they started on as if they were quite sure which way they were going. If we walk far enough, said Dorothy, I am sure we shall sometime come to some place. But day by day passed away, and they still saw nothing before them but the scarlet fields. The scarecrow began to grumble a bit. We have surely lost our way, he said, and unless we find it again in time to reach the Emerald City, I shall never get my brains. Nor I my heart, declared the tin woodman. It seems to me I can scarcely wait till I get to Oz, and you must admit this is a very long journey. You see, said the cowardly lion with a whimper, I haven't the courage to keep tramping forever 
without getting anywhere at all. Then Dorothy lost heart. She sat down on the grass and looked at her companions, and they sat down and looked at her, and Toto found that for the first time in his life he was too tired to chase a butterfly that flew past his head. So he put out his tongue and panted and looked at Dorothy as if to ask what they should do next. Suppose we call the field mice, she suggested. They could probably tell us the way to Emerald City. To be sure they could, cried the scarecrow. Why didn't we think of that before? Dorothy blew the little whistle she had always carried about her neck since the Queen of Mice had given it to her. In a few minutes, they heard the pattering of tiny feet, and many of the small grey mice came running up to her. Among them was the queen herself, who asked in her squeaky little voice, What can I do for my friends? We have lost our way, said Dorothy. Can you tell us where the Emerald City is? Certainly, answered the queen. But it is a great way off for you have had it at your backs all this time. Then she noticed Dorothy's golden cap and said, Why don't you use the charm of the cap and call the winged monkeys to you? They will carry you to the city of Oz in less than an hour. I didn't know there was a charm, answered Dorothy in surprise. What is it? It is written inside the golden cap, replied the queen of the mice. But if you are going to call the winged monkeys, we must run away, for they are full of mischief and think it great fun to plague us. Won't they hurt me? asked the girl anxiously. Oh no, they must obey the wearer of the cap. Goodbye, and she scampered out of sight, with all the mice hurrying after her. Dorothy looked inside the gold cap and saw some words written upon the lining. These, she thought, must be the charm. So she read the directions carefully and put the cap upon her head. Epe, Pepe, Cake, she said, standing on her left foot. What did you say? asked the scarecrow, who did not know what she was doing.
Hello, hollow, hello, Dorothy went on, standing this time on her right foot. Hello, replied the tin woodman calmly. Zizzy, zoozy, zick, said Dorothy, who was now standing on both feet. This ended the saying of the charm, and they heard a great chattering and flapping of wings as the band of winged monkeys flew up to them. The king bowed low before Dorothy and asked, What is your command? We wish to go to Emerald City, said the child, and we have lost our way. We will carry you, replied the king, and no sooner had he spoken than two of the monkeys caught Dorothy in their arms and flew away with her. Others took the scarecrow and the woodman and the lion, and one little monkey seized Toto and flew after them, although the dog tried hard to bite him. The scarecrow and the tin woodman were rather frightened at first, for they remembered how badly the winged monkeys had treated them before but they saw that no harm was intended, so they rode through the air quite cheerfully, and had a fine time looking at the pretty gardens and the woods far below them. Dorothy found herself riding easily between two of the biggest monkeys. One of them was the king himself, They had made a chair of their hands and were quite careful not to hurt her. Why do you have to obey the charm of the golden cat? she asked. That is a long story, answered the king with a winged laugh. But as we have a long journey before us, I will pass the time by telling you about it, if you wish. I shall be glad to hear it, she replied. Once, began the leader, we were a free people, living happily in the great forest, flying from tree to tree, eating nuts and fruit, and doing just as we pleased, without calling anybody master. Perhaps some of us were rather too full of mischief at times, flying down to pull the tails of animals that had no wings, chasing birds, and throwing nuts at the people who walked in the forest but we were careless and happy and full of fun and enjoyed every minute of the day. That was many years ago, long before Oz came out 
out of the clouds to rule over this land. There lived here then, away at the north, a beautiful princess who was also a powerful sorceress. All her magic was used to help the people, and she was never known to hurt anyone who was good. Her name was Gaelette, and she lived in a handsome palace built from great blocks of ruby. Everyone loved her, but her greatest sorrow was that she could find no one to love in return, since all the men were much too stupid and ugly to mate with one so beautiful and wise. At last, however, she found a boy who was handsome and manly and wise beyond his years. Gaelette made up her mind that when he grew to be a man, she would make him her husband. So she took him to her ruby palace and used all her magic powers to make him as strong and good and lovely as any woman could wish. When he grew to manhood, Kilala, as he was called, was said to be the best and wisest man in all the land. While his manly beauty was so great that Gaelette loved him dearly and hastened to make everything ready for the wedding. My grandfather was at that time the king of the winged monkeys which lived in the forest near Gaelette's palace, and the old fellow loved a joke better than a good dinner. One day, just before the wedding, my grandfather was flying out with his band when he saw Kalala walking beside the river. He was dressed in a rich costume of pink silk and purple velvet, and my grandfather thought he would see what he could do. At his word, the band flew down and seized Kalala, carried him in their arms until they were over the middle of the river, and then dropped him into the water. Swim out, my fine fellow, cried my grandfather, and see if the water has spotted your clothes. Kalala was much too wise not to swim, and he was not in the least spoiled by all his good fortune. He laughed when he came to the top of the water and swam in to the shore. But when Gaelette came running out to him, she found his silks and velvets all ruined by the river. The princess was angry. She knew 
of course, who did it. She had all the winged monkeys brought before her, and she said at first that their wings should be tied, and they should be treated as they had treated Kalala, and dropped in the river. But my grandfather pleaded hard, for he knew the monkeys would drown in the river with their wings tied, and Kalala said a kind word for them also, so that Gaelette finally spared them, on condition that the winged monkeys should ever after do three times the bidding of the owner of the golden cap. This cap had been made for a wedding present to Kalala, and it is said to have cost the princess half her kingdom. Of course, my grandfather and all the other monkeys at once agreed to the condition, and that is how it happens that we are three times the slaves of the owner of the golden cap, whatsoever he may be. And what became of them? asked Dorothy, who had been greatly interested in the story. Kalala, being the first owner of the golden cap, replied the monkey. He was the first to lay his wishes upon us. As his bride could not bear the sight of us, he called us all to him in the forest after he had married her, and ordered us always to keep where she could never again set eyes on the winged monkey, which we were glad to do, for we were all afraid of her. This was all we ever had to do until the golden cap fell into the hands of the wicked witch of the West, who made us enslave the Winkies, and afterward drive Oz himself out of the land of the West. Now the golden cap is yours and three times you have the right to lay your wishes upon us. As the monkey king finished his story, Dorothy looked down and saw the green, shining walls of the Emerald City before them. She wondered at the rapid flight of the monkeys, but was glad the journey was over. The strange creatures set the travellers down carefully before the gate of the city. The king bowed low to Dorothy and then flew swiftly away, followed by his band. That was a good ride, said the little girl. Yes, and a quick way out of our troubles, replied the lion. How lucky it was you brought away that wonderful cap. Chapter 15 The Discovery of Oz the Terrible 
The four travellers walked up to the great gate of the Emerald City and rang the bell. After ringing several times, it was opened by the same guardian of the gates they had met before. What? Are you back again? he asked in surprise. Do you not see us? answered the scarecrow. But I thought you had gone to visit the Wicked Witch of the West. We did visit her, said the scarecrow. And she let you go again? asked the man in wonder. She could not help it, for she is melted, explained the scarecrow. Melted? Well, that is good news indeed, said the man. Who melted her? It was Dorothy, said the lion gravely. Good gracious, exclaimed the man, and he bowed very low indeed before her. Then he led them into his little room and locked the spectacles from the great box on all their eyes, just as he had done before. Afterward they passed on through the gate into the Emerald City. When the people heard from the guardian of the gates that Dorothy had melted the wicked witch of the West, they all gathered around the travellers and followed them in a great crowd to the palace of Oz. The soldier with the green whiskers was still on guard before the door, but he let them in at once, and they were again met by the beautiful green girl, who showed each of them to their old rooms at once, so they might rest until the great Oz was ready to receive them. The soldier had the news carried straight to Oz that Dorothy and the other travellers had come back again after destroying the wicked witch, but Oz made no reply. They thought the great wizard would send for them at once, but he did not. They had no word from him the next day, nor the next, nor the next. The waiting was tiresome and wearing, and at last they grew vexed that Oz should treat them in so poor a fashion. After sending them to undergo hardships and slavery, so the scarecrow at last asked the green girl to take another message to Oz, saying if he did not let them in to see him at once, they would call the winged monkeys to help them and find out whether he kept his promises or not. When the wizard was given this message, he was so frightened that he sent word for them to come to the throne room at 
four minutes after nine o'clock the next morning. He had once met the winged monkeys in the land of the west, and he did not wish to meet them again. The four travellers passed a sleepless night, each thinking of the gift Oz had promised to bestow on him. Dorothy fell asleep at once, and then she dreamed she was in Kansas, where Aunt Em was telling her how glad she was to have her little girl home again. Promptly at nine o'clock the next morning, the green-whiskered soldier came to them, and four minutes later, they all went into the throne room of the great Oz. Of course, each one of them expected to see the wizard in the shape he had taken before, and were all greatly surprised when they looked about and saw no one at all in the room. They kept close to the door and closer to one another, for the stillness of the empty room was more dreadful than any of the forms they had seen Oz take. Presently they heard a solemn voice that seemed to come from somewhere near the top of the great dome, and it said, I am Oz, the great and terrible. Why do you seek me? They looked again in every part of the room, and then, seeing no one, Dorothy asked, Where are you? I am everywhere answered the voice, but to the eye of common mortals I am invisible. I will now seat myself upon my throne, that you may converse with me. Indeed, the voice seemed just then to come straight from the throne itself, so they walked towards it and stood in a row while Dorothy said, We have come to claim our promise, O Oz. What promise? asked Oz. You promised to send me back to Kansas when the wicked witch was destroyed, said the girl. And you promised to give me brains, said the scarecrow. And you promised to give me a heart, said the tin woodman. And you promised to give me courage, said the cowardly lion. Is the wicked witch really destroyed? asked the voice, and Dorothy thought it trembled a little. Yes, she answered. I melted her with a bucket of water. Dear me, said the voice, how sudden. Well, come to me tomorrow, for I must have time to think it over. You've had plenty of time already, said the tin woodman 
angrily. We shan't wait a day longer, said the scarecrow. You must keep your promise to us, exclaimed Dorothy. The lion thought it might be as well to frighten the wizard, so he gave a large, loud roar, which was so fierce and dreadful that Toto jumped away from him in alarm and tipped over the screen that stood in a corner. As it fell with a crash, they looked that way, and the next moment all of them were filled with wonder, for they saw, standing in just the spot the screen had hidden, a little old man with a bald head and a wrinkled face, who seemed to be as much surprised as they were. The tin woodman, raising his axe, rushed towards the little man and cried out, Who are you? I am Oz, the great and terrible, said the little man in a trembling voice. But don't strike me, please don't. I'll do anything you want me to. Our friends looked at him in surprise and dismay. I thought Oz was a great head, said Dorothy. I thought Oz was a lovely lady, said the Scarecrow. I thought Oz was a terrible beast, said the Tin Woodman. I thought Oz was a ball of fire, exclaimed the Lion. No, you are all wrong, said the little meek man. I have been making believe. Making believe, cried Dorothy. Are you not a great wizard? Hush, my dear, he said. Don't speak so loud, or you will be overheard, and I should be ruined. I am supposed to be a great wizard. And aren't you? she asked. Not a bit of it, my dear. I'm just a common man. You're more than that, said the scarecrow in a grieved tone. You're a humbug. Exactly so, declared the little man, rubbing his hands together as if it pleased him. I am a humbug. But this is terrible, said the tin woodman. How shall I ever get my heart? Or my courage? asked the lion. Or my brains? wailed the scarecrow, wiping the tears from his eyes with his coat sleeve. My dear friends, said Oz, I pray you not to speak of these little things. Think of me and the terrible trouble I'm in at being found out. Doesn't anyone else know you're a humbug? asked Dorothy. No one knows it. 
but you four and myself, replied Oz. I have fooled everyone so long that I thought I should never be found out. It was a great mistake, my ever letting you go into the throne room. Usually, I will not even see my subjects, and so they believe I am something terrible. But I don't understand, said Dorothy in bewilderment. How was it? You appeared to me as a great head. That was one of my tricks, answered Oz. Step this way, please, and I will tell you all about it. He led the way to a small chamber in the rear of the throne room, and they all followed him. He pointed to one corner in which lay the great head, made out of many thicknesses of paper, and with a carefully painted face. This I hung from the ceiling by a wire, said Oz. I stood behind the screen, and pulled a thread to make the eyes move and the mouth open. But how about the voice? she inquired. Oh, I'm a ventriloquist, said the man. I can throw the sound of my voice wherever I wish, so that you thought it was coming out of the head. Here are the other things I used to deceive you. He showed the scarecrow the dress and the mask he had worn when he seemed to be a lovely lady. And the tin woodman saw that his terrible beast was nothing but a lot of skins sewn together with slats to keep their sides out. As for the ball of fire, the false wizard had hung that also from the ceiling. It was really a ball of cotton but when oil was poured upon it, the ball burned fiercely. Really, said the scarecrow, you ought to be ashamed of yourself for being such a humbug. I am, I certainly am, answered the little man sorrowfully. But it was the only thing I could do. Sit down, please, there are plenty of chairs. I will tell you my story. So they sat down and listened while he told the following tale. I was born in Omaha. Why, that isn't very far from Kansas, cried Dorothy. No. But it's farther from here, he said, shaking his head at her sadly. When I grew up, I became a ventriloquist, and at that I was very well trained by my great master. I can imitate any kind of bird or beast. 
Here he mewed so like a kitten that Toto pricked up his ears and looked everywhere to see where she was. After a time, continued Oz, I tired of that and became a balloonist. What is that? asked Dorothy. A man who goes up in a balloon on circus day, so as to draw a crowd of people together and get them to pay to see the circus, he explained. Oh, she said, I know. Well, one day I went up in a balloon and the ropes got twisted so that I couldn't come down again. It went way up above the clouds, so far that a current of air struck it and carried it many, many miles away. For a day and a night I travelled through the air, and on the morning of the second day I awoke and found the balloon floating over a strange and beautiful country. It came down gradually, and I was not hurt a bit, but I found myself in the midst of a strange people, who, seeing me come from the clouds, thought I was a great wizard. Of course I let them think so, because they were afraid of me, and promised to do anything I wished them to. Just to amuse myself, and keep the good people busy, I ordered them to build this city, and my palace, and they did it all willingly and well. Then I thought, as the country was so green and beautiful, I would call it the Emerald City, and to make the name fit better, I put green spectacles on all the people, so that everything they saw was green. But isn't everything here green? asked Dorothy. No more than in any other city, replied Oz. But when you wear green spectacles, why of course everything you see looks green to you. The Emerald City was built a great many years ago, for I was a young man when the balloon brought me here, and I am a very old man now. But my people have worn green glasses on their eyes so long that most of them think it really is an Emerald City and it certainly is a beautiful place, abounding in jewels and precious metals, and every good thing that is needed to make one happy. I have been good to the people, and they like me, but ever since this palace was built, I have shut myself up and would not see any of them. 
One of my greatest fears was the witches, for while I had no magical powers at all, I soon found out that the witches were really able to do wonderful things. There were four of them in this country, and they ruled the people who lived in the north and south and east and west. Fortunately, the witches of the north and south were good, and I knew they would do me no harm. But the witches of the east and west were terribly wicked, and had they not thought I was more powerful than they, they would surely have destroyed me. As it was, I lived in deadly fear of them for many years, so you can imagine how pleased I was when I heard your house had fallen on the wicked witch of the east. When you came to me, I was willing to promise anything if you would only do away with the other witch. But, now that you have melted her, I am ashamed to say I cannot keep my promises. I think you are a very bad man, said Dorothy. Oh, no, my dear, I'm really a very good man, but I'm a very bad wizard, I must admit. Can't you give me brains? asked the scarecrow. You don't need them. You are learning something every day. A baby has brains, but it doesn't know much. Experience is the only thing that brings knowledge. The longer you are on earth, the more experience you are sure to get. That may all be true, said the scarecrow, but I shall be very unhappy unless you give me brains. The false wizard looked at him carefully. Well, he said with a sigh. I'm not much of a magician, as I said, but if you will come to me tomorrow morning, I will stuff your head with brains. I cannot tell you how to use them, however. You must find that out yourself. Oh, thank you, thank you, cried the scarecrow. I'll find a way to use them, never fear. But how about my courage? asked the lion anxiously. You have plenty of courage, I'm sure, answered Oz. All you need is confidence in yourself. There is no living thing that is not afraid when it faces danger. The true courage is in facing danger when you are afraid, and that kind of courage you have in plenty. Perhaps I have, but I'm scared just the same, said the lion. I shall be really very unhappy 
unless you give me the sort of courage that makes one forget he is afraid. Very well, I will give you that sort of courage tomorrow, replied Oz. How about my heart? asked the tin woodman. Why, as for that, answered Oz, I think you are wrong to want a heart. It makes most people unhappy. If only you knew it, you are in luck not to have a heart. That must be a matter of opinion, said the tin woodman. For my part, I will bear all the unhappiness without a murmur, if you will give me the heart. Very well, answered Oz meekly. Come to me tomorrow, and you shall have a heart. I have played wizard for so many years, that I may as well continue the part a little longer. And now, said Dorothy, how am I to get back to Kansas? We shall have to think about that, replied the little man. Give me two or three days to consider the matter, and I'll try to find a way to carry you over the desert. In the meantime, you shall all be treated as my guests, and while you live in the palace, my people will wait upon you and obey your slightest wish. There is only one thing I ask in return for my help, such as it is. You must keep my secret and tell no one I am a humbug. They agreed to say nothing of what they had learned, and went back to their rooms in high spirits. Even Dorothy had hoped that the great and terrible humbug, as she called him, would find a way to send her back to Kansas. And if he did, she was willing to forgive him everything. <laughs>